Yes, folks, it's Thursday. I'm Fred McMurray, which means this has to be... All right, after some momentarily momentary issues, we're here, ladies. We're actually launched another episode of Pillars of Franchising, amazingly enough. I amazingly hope. enough, yes. Everything yeah, seems to be broadcast. You always pull it out. Yeah, not always, but most of the time, yeah. <laughs> and and yeah, we had a few glitches there, but they seem to have cleared up. So God willing, everything is running, at least as far as I can tell. Although I got perfect. No Let's bring on uh, 2022 with as soon as possible, shall we? I'm down with that. Fabulous. So, Elizabeth, are we ready for some word on the street? We are ready for some word on the street. And speaking of 2022, it is to do with that. Uh-oh, somebody's phone's ringing, and it's not mine. We're well, that cut that off, so, yeah. <laughs> ah, it's, my, it's actually my favorite time of the year because of what we're talking about. Yeah, so our, our good friends at the Franchise Business Review have just released their annual top 200 franchise ranked list, um, which is pretty exciting. Um, and we love this list because it is it is an objective and independent list. Nobody's paying to be on it. Nobody's yep. applying to be on it. They interview 28,000 franchise owners across the country. Yeah, like me and Ray. Okay, so me and Ray and Jerry. Mm-hmm. And now next year, David will be able to be inter- it will be able to be surveyed. So the nice thing is knowing that we've all put in our two cents into this whole report, along with every other owner out there who decides to participate. So I love this report because, you know, when you're looking to buy a franchise, one of the things we tell you is so important is to validate. Mm-hmm. And the validation process is all about calling owners of these franchise models that you're interested in and talking to them about, you know, the pros and cons, the good, the bad, the ugly, what are some of the things that you like most and best, and, you know, are you really making money, and what kind of support are you getting, and those are the types of questions that these surveys ask owners, the types of support you're getting from the executive team, and so I think it's awesome when you take, you know, close to 3,000 franchise models and they boil it down to saying, here's the top 200. Yeah, and, and you know, the, the thing is, it is data-driven, which I think it, it, it makes it something that we can easily refer to without imparting any bias. This is not coming from us. We don't yeah. have any favorite that we're promoting or any of that, no agenda. But they, they do this, and they ask each of the franchise owners uh, 33 questions. Um, that are benchmark satisfaction questions based on areas that include leadership, training, core values. And then they ask some personal questions concerning their lifestyle that they, that they live in the business, the overall enjoyment of running their franchise. So 
it gets from the nitty gritty leadership training and core values to how much do you actually enjoy being a part of this business? And I think that that's something that uh, makes this a very unique and interesting survey when you're looking at what you want to buy. Yeah, absolutely. And and not to um, necessarily rate these in any specific order, but I do want to point out that on the list, um, there are several models on here that we have either interviewed directly or we have direct, um, I'll say, uh, in this case, okay, like Jerry and David, we both know are involved in the joint. Now, the joint happens to be on the top 200 list. Um, Molly made happens to be on the top 200 list, which I think is really exciting. Um, I just had an opportunity uh, a few weeks ago to meet with Fast Signs and Fiber Renew. They're on the list. Um, our, our last week's guest, uh, Wild Birds Unlimited, he's on the list. Yeah, right? he's number 11, so he's pretty high up on the list. Fast Signs yes. is in the yes. top four, it looks like. So, yeah. I mean, this is a great resource. Um, the Franchise Business Review does a great job doing this. So, once you, if you're interested in looking at this kind of a list, you can search it by industry, by investment needed. You can search it by name. So, so, depending on what it is you're looking for, if you have a certain, you know, financial threshold you're looking at or a certain industry, you can get on here and search and see who's on this list that falls within something that you might be interested in. Absolutely. And some of the great things, I like even if you just look at them in random, like the way they presented them here, even on their first page, you know, the, the first one shows Kona Ice, right? The investment is 127000 with cash required being 20000 The next investment is roughly $2,300 for cruise planners, and the cash required is under $10,000. You're talking to totally different models, to totally different investment levels. And then the next one, the third one, is Christian Brothers Automotive which the investment is $461,000 in cash required. Well, they say is 85,000. I have to venture to guess it's significantly more than that um, all in. However, it's just an example of everything from, you know, low entry or point of entry to, you know, very high point of entry, all depending on what you're interested in, what your um, threshold is, so to speak, for an investment um, and all, all different uh, verticals in terms of, different types of things you want. There's a lot of vacation stuff in there, which whether or not that's the right time today per se to get into, <laughs> I don't know, today, but maybe next week, three weeks, who's to say? A um, lot of service businesses. Yeah. I'm sorry? But yeah, I said we're going to go with it'll be, you know, the next two or three weeks. Yeah, let's go with that. Optimism. That's Optimism yeah. this year. Yeah, but, but I think that you're you're right. The diversity of, of industry that this touches, and the diversity of financial investment and time investment and service based versus retail versus you know home health or you know any of these things, there's something that would fit anybody's criteria. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. To, to to at least get a feel for what it is and where you might be headed, and then you know hook up with us and we can tell you if you're wrong. Right. <laughs> Absolutely, because don't forget, just because it sounds sexy or it sounds fun or it looks cheap, it doesn't mean that that's the right franchise for you. So you definitely want to work with somebody who can help look at, you know, what it is that you're looking for, for you, for your family, for the lifestyle, for the amount of time that you want to spend in and or on your business to make sure the choice is right. Um, and again, this article is called the 200 best franchises to buy in 2022, ranked, reviewed, and recommended by Franchise Business Review.
Absolutely. And I think we are ready for our first, before we bring on our guest, um, author James Slit, who has an amazing story of one of the original female uh, pioneers of the retail franchise model. Awesome. Can't wait. Actually, no. We'll go to Kristen okay. and our guest. So take that. Ha <laughs> 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 We must have got a buy on our bills this month. No, but I was just more ready for that than I was the commercial. So take that. Oh, I was going to say it must have been from our networking uh, event that we had last night uh, with our pillars group. And we had uh, Mr. Don Worthon who helps us negotiate bills. And so I thought maybe he helped you negotiate the the bill so we didn't have as many to pay. (laughs) No, thanks for playing. Yeah, yeah. Ray, Jane, how are you today? Cold. This is terrific. Hello. <laughs> Ray, Happy would you? New Year, everybody. Happy New Year, Jane. Ray, would you introduce our lovely guest to our listeners? I'd love today? to. But first, I just want to say it's nice to be on someone's list that doesn't start with an S. Santa? <laughs> <laughs> you were talking about lists earlier, but I am really excited to introduce Jane. Uh, Jane is an award-winning speaker and author who currently is a visiting scholar at the University of Rochester. Jane wows audiences with her compelling and passionate speaking style and her strategic analysis linking current events to history. Jane's biography, Martha Matilda Harper and the American Dream, and the web link to that is going to be on colors, I'm sure. Uh, spotlighted the American Business Hall of Fame as the creator of modern retail franchising and a pioneer of social entrepreneurship. Jane has also written Martha's Magical Hair for the young and Martha the Hair... Blah, 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 Prior to becoming a visiting scholar at the University of Rochester in 1996, she led 12-person business marketing and became an economic development firm that earned her recognition as small business advocate by the U.S. Small Business Administration and won the Small Business Person of the Year in 1986. SABVI Magazine cited her as one of 14 Outstanding Women in the New York State. Jane has been widely published in business, national, and local publications, including the Wall Street Journal, the Chicago Sun-Times, the Rochester Democrat and Chronicle, and the Sarasota Herald Tribune, and History and History News. Jane has been a lifelong advocate of civil rights and was now's NOW. Uh, first National Executive Director. She resides in Brandonson, Florida, and travels widely, speaking to audiences around the world. Welcome to the show, Jane. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much. I'm sorry for the tongue twisters. (laughs) We're sorry for Ray doing the introduction. That's from me, Fred. So I... Jane, I have to tell you, I was reading all about you this afternoon, and um, the the one thing I said that there's were not a problem for me, right? That wasn't the case. But I was like, what is a page in the Senate? What is? I'm like, is that a typo? 
And I, I had to actually look up what a page in the Senate was, because when you were a teenager, you were told that you could not do it because you were a female. And I thought, well, a page, what is that? And I looked it up to find out that you were not allowed to basically run errands and sit in on some of the, I'll call them debates. That's probably not the right word, I guess, the, the deliberations maybe that they were having. Is that correct? That's right. Um, in Congress, it was the tradition to allow young boys who um, could pursue their interests in politics and history mm -hmm. by helping um, both senators as well as House of Repre Congress representatives. And um, obviously, I'm of the era uh, where in the 1960s, I wrote to Senator Jacob Javits and asked to be nominated, um, and he said he would love to, but women weren't allowed to be pages. That did change, um, but, but um, as some of us may know, they've eliminated the page program in the House of Representatives and modified it. Um, but. Fortunately, it was integrated. Um, but those those were times when it I didn't really understand the mm -hmm. the fact that girls could not pursue it as part of a bigger societal issue. Um, sure. But it only occurred as I started to work in the labor relations field. Right, because you were quite young, right? You were your early teens when that happened, correct? That is true. That is true. I was 16. Um, but I began to understand that um, society wasn't viewing girls and women in the same way that they were um, boys and men, and it was making a huge difference in how um, what careers were being pursued and that played a terrific impact when I happened to stumble on the story of Martha Matilda Harper yeah. and realized that nobody knew about her. Sure. Um, and that really the creator of modern retail franchising had been either purposely or we'll leave it to to that, um, either ignored by history or purposely forgotten. Um, and um, frankly, that really annoyed me. Um, yeah, do, do you think that if it hadn't been for you being, did you learn about her? Because you were in Rochester. Her original salon was in Rochester. I understand now to be replaced, sadly, by a tire store, which I think is awful. But um, did you find her or make that tie in when you were in Rochester? Or how did you stumble upon her? Yeah, um, as um, was mentioned, I ran um, a marketing um consulting firm and we were pulled in for an assignment in the most historic office building in uh, Rochester by a local bank that had hired us to create some marketing kickoff for when the grand opening of this old historic building 
was accomplished. And everybody had a story linked to this building. So we decided to create um, a history gallery. It was called the Powers Building. And um, someone sent in, and we invited the public to submit info, um, pictures and stories. And someone sent in a small clipping about this servant girl who opened the first uh, public hair salon for women in the Powers Building. And I was intrigued, and I had never heard about her. Um, but the clipping also said she was the first woman member of the Rochester Chamber of Commerce. So I called the chamber and said, hi, what do we know about this first female member? Uh -huh. I was a member of the chamber, and all I saw were portraits of men um, right. up on the walls. And um, they said, we don't know anything, but when you uh, find out, let us know. Well, that really teed me off. It was <laughs> just like, hmm. And um, I'm, I'm someone who, when I get teed off, I get very determined and persistent. And um, I pursued it when I was in Washington, D.C. I went to the Library of Congress and embraced this librarian and said, I can't find out anything about this woman, can you? And he spent two hours with me, God bless him, and um, to no avail, except he shared her obituary, which was oh. written in the New York Times. Okay. And she died in 1950. And anyone who knows what obituaries were like in the 1950s they basically covered the men and their accomplishments but this was an obituary that cited harper for having um this new business model for having loyal customers including british royalty and Susan B. Anthony, mm -hmm. and I'm going, holy crow, <laughs> <laughs> this is an amazing story, and yeah. it was like, yeah, but I'm a businesswoman, and I'm not an author, and, right. you know, someone else, but um, I think she haunted me, um, because this voice in my head kept saying, if it took you that much effort just to discover as little as you know, no one is going to discover her. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Well, and I think um, for people who are, who are just tuning in going, what in the heck are they talking about? This is a great story of someone who, against all odds, developed a product, right? A product that then was, she was able to bring it to market. She was able to then take that little market, expand it, and open the opportunity to others, people who really didn't have um, a lot of opportunity, right? I mean, that was her target. Was her, her story was that it was only women that she would allow to open salons, and they had to be impoverished or in, um, I forget the words that, that were used, um, less than... Um, 
I'm looking through my notes here, but they, they couldn't be well to do off. Like today, you know, people have to have some money or some skin in the game to open up a business. And those were not the women that she was looking for. In some cases, she looks for other indentured servants to help run her salons, right? That's right. And what's really key about her is she had been bound out from the time she was seven as a servant girl. Um, she was Canadian. And for the next 25 years, she remained a servant. Um, and having experienced the absolute limitation of what life could be like, she came to realize that not only could she use business as a way to break out of servitude, but as circumstances evolved, she had the possibility of creating a whole new business system that would allow her to expand and brilliantly tap into the pent-up ambitions of other impoverished women. So she's able to create an international franchise system before there are computers and fax machines where she can monitor, or today we can keep track of how operations are going, but she brilliantly taps into the potential loyalty. Yeah. She is changing their lives. Yeah. And she really empowered them, right? And I think that that's, you know, when you empower someone who's impoverished like that, and they come from a place where she was, and you provide these opportunities. She taught them how to do it. I mean, I was reading about when she came here to Chicago for the World Fair, and, and she was with, um, I want to call her Bernie. I, I could be wrong, but the Palmer of Palmer House. Um, uh, uh, yes. Um, Bernie, uh, Bernadette, something no, like that. Um, Sorry, with a B. Bertha um, Palmer. There you go, Bertha Palmer. Um, I knew I had the Palmer part right. Um, it's very interesting to think about how this franchise system started to get around and everything, everyone from the Kennedys, as you said, Susan B. Anthony, I mean, she had some very elite clients that visited her salons. And it's amazing. What, she wound up with like 500 of these salons? That's right. Over 500. And actually... Woodrow Wilson, um, while he was negotiating the Treaty of Versailles um, to end World War I, went into the Paris Salon for um, a relaxing um, scalp massages. So wow. this was a woman who capitalized on her, her life experience when Bertha Palmer basically said, I'll create a market for you. Um, she had to come up with a system that would allow her to expand. And I mean, so when we give credit, and as we, as you were sharing the top 200 franchises and the list and the diversity, um, it's awesome to imagine that this poor woman had the vision yeah, to be able to create the model that is now transforming retail business. 
Yeah. And think about for those young entrepreneurs out there today, some of the people who have these great ideas and, you know, uh, Fred and I have talked with a couple of people who have ideas, they have these great business models and they want to become franchisors. And I think the story of Matilda is so great because it really shows you that even without the computers, even without all the technology that we have today, you can do it, right? You don't have to, it sure makes it easier, but this poor woman didn't have it and look what she was able to accomplish. So I think it's a great, inspiring story. It is for anyone and anyone who's had a rough time, whether it's a rough childhood or hasn't succeeded but has a dream. Um, yes. One of Martha's tenants was to pursue your dream. You know, absolutely don't ever give up on your dream. But she had this practicality of how you take a dream. And she understood you're not a servant for 25 years without understanding how you delight the customer. You know, and that's pretty fundamental. And from there, she had her own, um, she based everything on organic, healthful procedures. She niche market and she didn't try to compete and be uh, Johnny or Jane come lately. She dared to be different. And um, she was a great networker. Um, and she has demonstrated the fundamentals of business success that over 130 years later continue to be um, the realities of what's going to determine whether you succeed or not. We're, we're still talking about it at our networking event last night. Some of those very things, right? Forming relationships, getting to know people, helping each other out. I mean, those are still things that we talk about today. So I, I highly recommend, um, Jane, any of the books, you know, for the younger people, the, the book that you wrote from them, I think was um, Matilda with her hair. It almost looks like a cartoon book. Um, I'm sorry, I didn't write down the title of it, but you've got three or four that are listed there when you look up Jane Slit. And they're so, some of the artwork is so cute. Um, and I think for inspiring entrepreneurs who want to be franchisors, it's certainly a great place to start to really get inspired. Um, and I understand you have a documentary coming up. Yes, we're very excited about it. It's called The Marvelous Martha. And it's the story of how I stumbled on the Martha story and the recreation using um, historic photos of Martha, of the people who played key roles in her life Um, and it um, is going to premiere back in Bradenton, Florida. Um, By the way, I was so brilliant. I moved up north to Virginia where the snow has (laughs) historic (laughs) levels. Um, But um, it will premiere and then it will be part of the Sarasota Film Festival from Uh March um, uh, 10th through the 14th, and that will be available to tune in remotely. Awesome. So I think the pillars may be listing it, uh, the links. So stay tuned to that opportunity. And, Absolutely. Um, 
And when we see it, when we get the post that it's um, that it's out there to be viewed virtually, we'll make sure that we post that for you as well and share it on all of our social media. Um, and I just want to thank you really for being such a force in the women's movement. And you were obviously voted as the U.S. Small Business Person of the Year. You've been an executive director for the National Women's, women's Organization. I mean, you've been involved in so many different things, the National Women's Hall of Fame. You're very accomplished. And, um, you know, I can only hope that people like my daughter understand the impact of people like you as she moves through her career and how you've kind of um, made the path a little bit bigger and easier for her to traverse. So thank you very much for your work. And I'm sure that Matilda would be very proud of the work that you've done to uncover her success. Well, um, it, I have felt it a great honor um, and opportunity. Um, the discovery of Martha's story took six years of crisscrossing the United States and Canada. And I need to share the credit for it is that the people who worked for the Harper franchise were the key to documenting it. Um, one woman with her husband went into the um, garbage um, when the Harper empire was sold um, and the competitor wanted to dump all the records. And she and her husband went into the dumpster and pulled out 36 cartons of records, memorabilia. Uh, wow. Many of those photos are included in the book and they thankfully are preserved in um, the Rochester Museum and Science Center. So mm -hmm. had it not been for the devotion of those Harperites, the people associated with the Harper franchise, um, the story would not have been possible to be written. Wow. Well, thank you to those people as well. And we will have all those links on the website. If somebody should want to reach out to you, Jane, where's a good place for them to find you? Um, they can email me at the number 2 Flit at gmail.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. We can't wait to see your documentary air. And uh, again, we'll share all of your uh, links and information out on the Pillars website. So if anybody has any questions, comments, or, or anything else that you'd like to share, please go ahead and do so. Thank you again, Jane. We look forward to Thank talking you, to you again soon. Real pleasure. Now we'll go to a commercial. Hey, franchise owners. How is your local marketing? Do you feel like you could use some help keeping up with your social media posts and comments and reviews? Do you wonder if you could be doing more to attract local customers? Are you able to identify new movements to your local area? At Westvine, we help franchisees like you reach more local customers through digital marketing. With daily monitoring, creative content, ad placement, and customer data intelligence, we'll get your business in front of the people who want your products or services. We also work with franchisors who need an agency to handle the digital marketing for all of their locations. If you're ready to reach more local customers, give us a call at 805-265-5440 or visit us at westvine.com. That's 805-265-5440 
or westvinewithaY.com. Hey, Elizabeth. You're on mute. I'm on mute. (laughs) Just going to assume that I'm, I had unmuted before the recorded commercial and then I muted again. Um, so we want to thank Jane Plitt. She's, it's always a pleasure to talk to her. I've interviewed her several times, um, and I just think she's got an amazing story herself and one to tell. Um, and I wanted to make sure that everybody listening has subscribed to the magazine as we are getting the February issue, February issue ready. I don't think I can speak today. Um, <laughs> and between now and the end of January, we have some a sponsorship deals that we are offering. Um, six months of sponsorship gets you a month free. A year of sponsorship gets you two months free. So awesome. if you're interested in getting the word out, we've got quite a broad reach these days as we continue to grow. Um, and so we are happy to help you do that and promote you on our social media and provide some exposure for you through interviews and magazine articles. Um, up next, we've got Jerry, who is going to talk to us about some lessons we can all learn from his book. Um, and then subsequently do some segments on, on those lessons. So I'm excited to hear what he's got to say. Yes, and I want to remind everybody as Jerry's getting all queued up that there is a call-in number. He tends to um, always um, entice the crowd to call in with a lot of questions. So for those of you who might have questions for Jerry, our call-in number is 323-580-5755. Again, it's 323-580-5755. And Jerry's book is Live It to Own It. Jerry! Kristen, how are you today? I'm doing well, and how about yourself? I'm doing amazing. You know, a favorite part of the week is getting a chance to talk to potential franchisees and newer franchisees through Pillars of Franchising. And now we're going to talk about all kinds of ways to help those people. So I'm I'm in I'm in Nirvana right now, getting ready to talk to you. <laughs> awesome, because I'm in Nirvana after I've been reading your book, and now you're gonna talk. We're gonna talk through it a little bit, which I think is amazing because not everybody, I'm sure, out there has um, had the opportunity to read it. But it's really an easy read. It's kind of a step by step. Here's how you went through the process of realizing that you needed to do something different. Um, so tell us, tell us about your book. Okay. Well, first off, let me just tease everybody a little bit because you set me up. So uh, we are going to be talking for about the next 15 weeks, chapter by chapter yep. through the book. So today I just want to kind of give you a little bit of an overview of, of my franchise journey and how the book got written and why the book got written and things like that. And then, I want people to continue to tune in to try and get more. Certainly, I'd love them to buy the book because, um, you know, my mantra with people across the globe when I'm training them and mentoring them in franchising is that, you know, when they ask if they should spend money on a book or an educational platform or a seminar or something like that, um, no matter what the cost is, if you'll get back that much or more in whatever improvements in your business, it's a no-brainer, right? So for, I think, I think it's like 25 bucks on Amazon or something like that. You can have a book that literally leads you through the entire process you're going to go through. So, uh, and, and, you know, one of the other things, guys, anybody that gets into franchising, um, you're going to make mistakes. No matter how much guidance you have, you're going to make mistakes. Well, lucky for you, I went and made some of those for you. (laughs) So I will save you time and money. 
Yes, I wrote about it. I am very happy to share that with people so they don't have to go through what I went through. But, you know, Kristen, the bottom line was I, I got into franchising after about a 25-year journey of exploring it. And what happens, and I'm sure it's happening with some of our listeners, you have this desire to get into a business of your own or to buy a franchise, and then life gets in the way. You have children. They're involved in things. You know, you, you, you're busy at work, and you don't have time to put into it. So how do you ever break out of that? And so telling my story about how that evolved hopefully gives other people some you know, insight and some, some tips and maybe a forewarning. Because right now, when people ask me if there's anything I would have done differently in my franchise journey, the simple answer is I would have loved to have started it 25 years before I did. Yeah. Because when you find success, you wish you would have had it much sooner and you can't go back. Time is the only thing we can't replace in life. So um, the bottom line was I spent 25 years on that journey. We, uh, 16 plus years ago, we opened our first great clips. Uh, I wanted one location forever just yep. to subsidize my retirement. And uh, we turned it around. It was doing well. And lo and behold, here we are 16 years later with 36 locations. We're getting ready to add seven more. Um, I've evolved into another franchise model, the joint chiropractic, where I'm both a three-state regional developer as well as a franchisee. I've been asked to sit on several boards related to franchising. And still, in spite of all of that, you know, my children run uh, the original Great Clips Business Pal. We've already turned it into a second generation thing, which is, you know, Amazing. awesome for me as a father, right? Yeah. So it is, um, you know, my love in life is helping franchisees or potential franchisees. Yep. And I was flying around the country doing that, mentoring people, uh, doing everything I can to try and help them find success and get there quicker than the rest of us and those kinds of things. And now with the book, I've got the chance to touch many, 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 many more lives in a positive way in a, in a really simple uh, format. So that's the overview of everything we, we talked about. Well, here's a, a question. As I said already, we've got chatter, right? We always, we always get questions coming in. And one of the questions we have is, what do you think was the hardest part for you going from one franchise location to multiple locations? Yeah, I think it's a great question, by the way. And I think uh, it's probably the, the difficult part, probably the same for everybody. It's the fact that you, um, when you have one, you can be involved in all the moving pieces. You, you will make the decisions. You will guide people. You might become friends. My wife is chief hugs officer. Yeah. Her favorite thing in life is to go in and hug everybody and know about their kids <laughs> and their families and their struggles and things like that. So uh, when you go from one to multiples, you likely will not be involved in every day-to-day -day decision anymore. And some people struggle with that evolution. You may not know all of your employees, depending on okay. how far flung they are and how big the organization is. You may be like my wife and really love that part of the business and so to this day, she struggles with not being able to talk to every one of her employees every day. Yeah. So you as a business owner, and, and certainly for us, that was our biggest struggle is making sure we had the infrastructure built to uh, handle payroll and extra uh, fires that come up. You know, when, when a car drives through the front of your retail establishment and is parked inside because <laughs> somebody hit the gas instead of the brake, which has yeah. happened to us three times, not once, three times. 
Um, those are the kinds of things that are a struggle for most franchisees. So uh, frankly, in our opinion, adding on beyond one and to many multiples is really not that difficult once you get the infrastructure built because adding a few more people to payroll, a few more bills to pay, those kinds of things, that's yeah. just business. Things just right. move back and forth. So you just have to understand you can't be involved in everything all day long and you may not know everybody the way that you used to know them. If you can get over those, the rest of it's fairly easy. Excellent, excellent, good question. Thank you for asking that. And Jerry, what do you think are some of the other um, things if, if people were to say, well, I don't want to start with just one. That's not me. That's, that's, I'm an executive already today and I manage, you know, territories today. I want to start with multiple. Tell me what you would say to somebody that comes in with that kind of um, vision, we'll call it. So two things I tell them immediately. Number one, congratulations. That's great. I love people that think like you do, and I'm here to help you. Number two, completely forget the fact you are an executive and you used to manage a lot of locations and a lot of people because franchising is nothing like the corporate world. And you're going to have to get over that. And in fact, that may be a hurdle to your success in the future. So we need to break down that barrier first. Once you get beyond that, though, I would say, you know, you have the opportunity with most franchise systems to buy a territory or a master development license or some version mm -hmm. so that you have the opportunity over several years to build multiple. I would tell everybody involved, if you haven't been in franchising before, build one, work the rough edges off, get very comfortable with it, really know the business inside and out and engage in the franchisee community and then worry about going to the next ones. Now you can buy them up front, just don't open them until you know, you're fully vested and you're ready to go forward. But I would say walk before you run. Don't get in too deep because, you know, I've been doing this 16 years. And with the joint, I am opening uh, three, well, four locations within six months, basically. And you have tremendous strains on cash flow, unbelievable strains on cash mm -hmm. flow. Even if you've got a lot of cash waiting there to do this with, it still is very stressful. You've got to hire a lot of people very quickly if you haven't gone through that process. That's very difficult, especially if they're licensed. Um, there's a very shortage of staff in the world right now. Anyhow, if they're licensed, that adds another level to it. So right. there's just a lot of pieces to it that I think you ought to get comfortable with before you dive all in. Sure. And especially when you have multiple locations. I mean, the thing is, you may be buying a brand, but the other piece to it is it's still your culture, right? So don't forget, when you buy a brand, you it's still your company. It's Still your culture they're still your people so you know it takes time to build that and I would have to think Jerry even with your um, with your salon you know it takes time for each one of those and I know there's a tremendous amount of respect for you and Mickey out there and your daughters with all those employees and that didn't come overnight that's a great point it, it, culture is so important as, as our as our peers here uh, David and Karen talk about quite often, you know, leadership and those kinds of things are critical. Culture for us is all about a family. Uh, those 200 employees are a part of our extended family. Uh, we do everything we can to change their lives because when we change their lives, we change the lives of their uh, significant others and their children and maybe multi-generations in the future. We really strive to break the poverty cycle with our employees and uh, uh, so the bottom line is you do have to build a culture around that. You have to show you care. 
And if you don't do that, um, you may still find success, but I think it's completely different. Um, and, and especially as you brought up when you're far flung, you know, our Great Clips organization covers two states. Driving time is about eight hours from one end to the other. Um, it's, it's just, you, you've got to use Zoom and FaceTime and sure. all kinds of other vehicles today to build and engage in a culture kind of mindset. And not everybody is prepared to do that right off the bat. Yep. Take some time. And, uh, and it's critical to your success. I will share a quick story. As we, much of our growth has come through acquisitions. And frankly, no matter how successful the people we acquired uh, salons from had been, when we get them, there is a six-month celebration cycle that happens with those employees as they learn what our culture is like as opposed to where they came from. Because they learn there is more to it than what they were used to. They can expect more. They're going to get more. Their lives are going to change. So um, it's critical that you make that a part of what you do when you do take on an extended period or extended group of, of uh, locations. Well, I can't wait because next week, I believe we're talking about the tempo effect from chapter two of your book. And um, again, for those of you who don't have it, am I off? Am I, off? <laughs> I believe next week is all about uh, the, the, uh, the story. Is that not correct? Well, the story is your chapter one. So What's your story? Yeah. That's going to be next week. The tempo effect is two weeks from now. Ah, but you're close. okay. See, I was getting too excited about it. We have to follow the process, Kristen, <laughs> so that we make sure these potential franchisees are getting it in the right order. Don't and, skip and who, would, and, and who would know I'm a franchisee not following the process? I'm getting all ahead of myself, right? <laughs> We're all anxious to move to that next step. But I'm excited to talk about the story and what is their story. What are these potential franchisees? Yeah. What is... What is the story that's going to carry them forward? So looking yeah. forward to it. Thanks for everything, Kristen. Thank you, Jerry. We'll Quick question. Wait, wait. Time out. Question. Quick question. Jerry, is it a good time to buy a franchise? Fred, thank you for getting back involved with Kristen and I because we both conveniently forgot that. And yeah, the I fact know. is, this is, again, one of the best times to be in franchising. With the great resignation and people leaving corporate America, many of them are looking for the next part of their story, the next chapter. Franchising is, frankly, the next story. It's the next chapter. It is much easier to get into than buying your own business. Frankly, there's less pain than acquiring a business when you're cold coming out of corporate America and going into it. Franchising, you have a system, a method, and you have peers that will help you with it. So now is, as always, an amazing time to buy a franchise. Yay. Fantastic. And Elizabeth is muted. <laughs> On you. Again. Somebody put it in my head, and now it's stuck there. Um, but anyway, on Jerry's note of the next great opportunity, um, our guest next week is somebody I'm really excited about. Her name is Jackie Stiles. She is a legendary basketball player from the WNBA, um, and she is about to set to open uh, a Next Gen Fitness franchise, so she's very excited about that. Um, one of the things a lot of times professional athletes do after their playing years is look for the next best thing. And several that we know of land in franchising. I saw that uh, Shaq is going to speak at the IFA convention. So it's basketball all around. But anyway, Jackie is, is a lovely interview. Um, she's very energetic, very enthusiastic, and very excited about her next adventure in her life. So make sure that you go on to pillarsoffranchising.com and subscribe. 
so that you do not miss out. She's also going to be interviewed in the magazine in February. So be sure to subscribe to the magazine so that you can read more about her story. That's you, Kristen. Wait, I cannot wait to meet Jackie Styles. My boys are always very sarcastic about me and and uh, basketball. I was going to say football. <laughs> that would be just like something I would say. I thought it was How hockey. Are you, Karen? Hello, I'm great. Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year to you. Good to see you. Good to see you. What have you got for us today? What What's the hot topic of the new year? You know, the hot topic of the new year is even it's funny, Jerry, Jerry was mentioning this earlier about the great resignation and the whole the whole people the people side. Yeah, all of our businesses. And as we all as as with its franchisee, franchisor, uh, that whole people side continues to have a, a huge impact on all this. So one of the things that, you know, that that to be to think about this new year to think about what can we do, things that we can do to be proactive. And and what are some ways where we can make sure that we're we're retaining and I think it's a great way also to attract new people, mm-hmm. new leaders and to retain them would be to work on building a leader pipeline. And what that means is it's really, even if it's your high potential employees, all the way through mid level leaders, it's making sure that there's there's a there's a pipeline where people feel like that they actually have growth. So they feel like they want to stay, and it's a great way to do it. And so it's really good to be intentional to kind of set those goals. Excellent. I think that's a great idea. It's funny that you say that, too, because in my mind, as uh, Jerry was talking about um, the shortages and some of his people, um, well, all of his people need licensing. I'm like, oh, you know, what about those places where you have the shampoo girl, and uh, at night she's going to school to learn how to do hair? And I'm thinking about, you know, even – when I worked for Home Depot, that was it. You grew your own people. You grew your own leadership, right? And a lot of small businesses, it, it gets kind of tricky. It's kind of hard to do that because you're dealing with fewer people. Um, but it certainly can be done. And, and I think everybody has to think about that. If you're not getting a lot of new people with those higher skill sets coming through the door, start some of that um, from the bottom up training and grow your leaders. So. Absolutely. And I think a key thing is so many times that we'll have in our minds, we're busy, right? We're busy running our businesses. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, I have this invaluable player or this person that's on the team. And they could be there, you know, fairly new, but you're seeing them really as you tag them as a high potential person. Yep. And, and so sometimes we don't really articulate that to them. So to me, like one of the first key steps is, is that have a conversation with your high potential people. So, you know, you're really important to us. They did some really good things here with you, and even with your with your leaders, making sure that they know how important how important they are, and having that conversation. I always say that it's really important, especially this time of the year, to have like a state I call it a state conversation or like engagement yeah. conversation, right? To say, you know, talk talk with me, talk with me about what's important to you. What what do you like about your job? What are you struggling with? How can I help you? And I think that's really one of the key paths to yep. really creating like this this leader pipeline. I think that's awesome. Thank you very much, Karen. I really appreciate it. We look forward to seeing you next week on your Management Minute update. And I hope you have a great week. Sounds good. Thanks. Where, where's David? There he is. Hi, David. I am. How's it going? It's going good. How about you? Good, good, good. Hey, your hair's not gray yet. So grand openings must be going pretty smooth. 
So pretty, uh, pretty much the same as I referenced before. No, uh, you know, one thing people have to realize is there's, there's really no rhythm when you're opening up, uh, opening up your business. Um, uh-huh. There's a lot, a lot of downtime, a lot of start and stop, a lot of stuff where you do nothing for a long period of time and then everything comes rushing at you. So um, where I am right now is this, we have a, you know, we've established a potential opening day somewhere in the beginning of March. And uh, so then you have all these processes that you have to go through. So if you're sitting out there, again, we're doing a brick and mortar business. Mm-hmm. Okay? And every business that you're going to go into is going to be a little bit different. So we have brick and mortar business, which means uh, construction plans have to be drawn, right? So once the construction plans are drawn, then they're out for bids. Then they have to be approved by landlords. Then they have to be approved by the city and the design committee and, and, and everybody involved within that city before you can even move forward. So you hurry up, you get those those plans drawn, and now you're sitting wait. So where we are right now is a little disappointing, but again, the reason why we're doing this journey is so everybody knows that it isn't so smooth all the time. That's right. So we just came off the holiday, right? We wanted to have the contractor bid by, I think, the 21st, whatever that day was. Right. We're sitting on January 6th. And there's still no bids. So it's, it pushes your timelines back. And so now when we get that, now we'll do some other stuff in the background, which I'll cover in a bit. But we just sent the plans to the landlord. Okay. And those should have been sent out a few weeks ago, but they were out of the office, et cetera. So they're right. going to go through them now and hopefully go through as quickly as possible. Once we get their approval, once we get a contract, then they'll go to the city. But these things take time and they're out of your control. And a lot of new franchisees this is where they start to get frustrated right because they want to get going and the other thing right is it wasn't your landlord kind of saying hey dave i don't see any work going on right (laughs) he gets a little anxious and you're like what do you want (laughs) that's exactly right and you know and all you can do is pick up the phone shoot an email whatever and say "I, i i'm still all in you got my signature. I'm guaranteeing the lease. So, but I, this is this is where everything's at, and I'm not the architect. Yeah. And 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 you just have to be comfortable with not everything's within your control, and that's difficult. That was incredibly difficult 28 years ago when I first went through this. Incredibly difficult, um, because I'd be on the phone all the time. Hey, let's go, let's go, let's go, and you do that, and you don't have enough stripes so to speak that guy's going to push you off to the side and deal with his other clients for a while right right? so you got to be careful with that um so what do you do what do we do in the meantime well we're working on the marketing plan right there's two facets to our marketing the digital marketing and then the 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 awareness marketing in your local area local store marketing guerrilla marketing whatever you want to term it so we're planning that we're in those planning stages now so we can hit the ground running with with the plan and an idea of what, how we want to attack it. And then the last thing I'm, that just came up scrambling with a little bit today is the funding piece. So um, whether you, and, and again, a lot of people will have their funding in place, et cetera, before they even buy a franchise. My particular instance, a little bit different, what I'm talking about is I'm doing a IRA rollover and turning that into a C-Corp for a lot of different advantages later on because of where I'm at in my life. So that is a little bit different because as you start to take those funds out of one IRA and create another IRA um, to, to start up the C-Corp, that becomes a taxable event. 
So I had to play around with it because I didn't want to get all taxed, all everything taxed in twenty on, on in twenty twenty two tax return. So I put rolled over some funds in twenty one, and I will roll over some funds this this year, and that gives me another year to kind of play around with the taxes. Um, and they require a minimum of ten percent of your total investment. So what am I doing with that other ninety percent? Or in this case, I actually moved it up a little bit. So say I did twenty five percent. Now, what am I going to do with that other 75%? Is that coming in the form of a loan? Is it coming in the form of a personal loan? Or is it coming in, in just personal funds cashed in? Yeah. So what did I do? I mailed, I sent an email to the to the, to the people who know, right? To my um, funding or to the people who are handling the C-Corp formation and also to my account. That's not a decision I want to make and I feel comfortable making. I'll wait till they get back to me and say, let's go this route. They'll have all the numbers. They'll figure it out, but, and then they'll tell me and I'll move forward because you can make, if, if you try to make those decisions on your own, who knows what the consequences are. It could be a tax consequence. It could be an injection. It could be, you know, any set, several of any different things where let the professionals handle that. Right. 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 So they tell me how to, how to fund this thing or, you know, how I want to break up the, the cash injection, the equity. Yep. decide how the stock certificates are going to be distributed, all those types of things. That's not something you as a potential franchisee need to worry about. It is, but let someone else with their expertise guide sure. you in that way. The overwhelming overwhelm franchisees and with franchises, I see, they think they have to do it all and they should know everything. It's right. impossible. Yeah, and there are a lot of great funding strategists who are very familiar um, not only with the different strategies, and they can work with your wealth manager, they can work with your CPA. However, you need to set it up to make sure that it's tax advantageous, that it's timely, and all of that. So that's great. That's awesome. great. So that's where we're at. A little bit of, of wait and see. I'm hoping the bids come in soon because that's also, you know, that's the biggest variable in this opening package for me. So for me to figure out how much I'm really going to need to fund my account, besides that and the working capital, I'm, I'm going working capital, I need to get that number. And yeah. um, so as soon as I get that, then I can start dialing, dialing in the financial piece for this a little bit better. But again, it's wait and see. So on the downtime, what are some things that you can still be doing on your end to move forward? And for me, it's the marketing planning right now, making sure I have exactly how I want to fund this business and, and squirrel those two things away. And then I can be ready for whatever comes up. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we can't wait to hear your next update. And again, wish you all the luck. I know you got a lot of things coming up very soon. It'll be one and then the next and then the next. And we're just going to keep following your journey. Look, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Thanks for sharing with us as always, David. Yep. Excellent. And Fred, I see that you had a question in the chat for, uh, let's see here. Wow. Let me go back here. Sorry. Oh, there it is. As a woman in franchising, what was the most difficult thing to overcome? So, um, Karen, you're back on the screen, too. So, um, I don't know if you want to take this question or, I mean, I, my, obviously, my perspective is a little bit different, probably, perhaps, than what yours is. We've all heard yours. <laughs> you got a lot more to hear, mister. And when this call's over, you're going to hear some more. 
So what's what the else question? is new? What else is new? <laughs> uh, what's done the most? Let me go back here. Sorry, my eyes are getting old. Brad, where the hell did you put it again? What's been <sighs> the most challenging? What was the most difficult thing to overcome as a woman in franchising? Um, gosh, I'm trying to think about that because there's so many. There, there are several several different things. I think one is um, making sure that my 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 voice is heard, and because so many times I think you know a, a guy would say something. And then, you know, or I'd say something, and they'd be like, uh, and then, then, then a guy would say it, and they'd be like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. How can I speak more with impact? So it was right. really hard, and, and it's easy to blame the other person for, well, they just were counting me. That No, the hardest thing is maybe for me to work on my voice, because uh-huh. I can work on me and how I present myself. I can't control the other person. So the hardest thing sometimes is really taking a look at myself and figuring out how could I be more, more, more bold, more consistent, and, and, and have an impactful message without being too aggressive. So that's always, that's always a balance for me. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. Good. Well, thank you very much. I hope that answered the question for our listener. And again, we appreciate you um, writing in, texting in, calling in, whatever it is that you need, uh, or is easier for you to get your questions out there. Um, Thank you very much, and I would like to thank Jane Flitt for coming on the show today. Please be sure to like, share, and comment on this episode. And as always, we'd like to thank Ray Pillar, Jerry Akers, David Kajanik, our Million Dollar Mentors. And for their insight and wisdom, I am Kristen Chalmessy, your fourth Million Dollar Mentor, and together we are your resource for franchising success. We help you buy and grow your franchise to make your dreams a reality. This has been Pillars of Franchising, and the dream starts here. I'm <laughs> <laughs>